This is Prairie Rome Companion, episode 57, recorded June 14th, 2011. Salvation, his story. Welcome to This Week in Prairie Rome Companion. I am your co-host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I am Father Andrew Dickinson. And today, Father and I, we're moving into summer, uh, and that really has nothing to do with our topic today. <laughs> Except for the fact that it's called summer, but it looks gloomy. It looks... <laughs> That's true. It's, it's cloudy. Here. Did we move the Newman Center to Britain? <laughs> what? What's wrong with Britain, South Dakota? Well, yeah. Uh, well, there's a, well, not B-R-T-T-O-N, but uh, <laughs> to the British Isles, of which the Beatles once famously said, you get a, you get a uh, tan by standing in the English rain. <laughs> I, I don't think it was just the Newman Center in Brookings. It appears to be large swaths of eastern South Dakota got moved um, there. There. Did they use a tesseract? <laughs> you know, I have not heard that word in decades. What brings you to... You haven't started reading uh, Madeline Lingell to your children? Is, no, not yet. Uh, did they... There's not... Is there something... New, there's not a movie coming out about that, is there? Or was there? Do you know? I never heard about that. I'd be excited if there was. I can't remember now. I think it was A Wrinkle in Time. I think it was that one. Is that the one where there's like the living, the, there's the what, they go, there's the, like there's this living brain thing that like possesses yeah. people. Yeah, that, that's kind of freaked me out. called It. I think it freaked me out. No, isn't that, is, I think that's, isn't that from Stephen King? Stephen King. Could be. Yeah. But I just don't remember just being just, I mean, not freaked out. I, like, it did give me nightmares, but I remember reading it, and I was a little, <laughs> when I was, a, you know, elementary school or whatever I must have been when I read it, and a little freaked out by that. You're, you're are you wiki? You're a little, just getting a little freaked out here. Just want you to let you know I'm just a little, freak, a little weirded out. <laughs> so, anyway, somehow we got moved. Wow, apparently 2003, there was a Wrinkle in Time movie. No, 2003. There you go. A film adaptation for TV completed by Disney. Hmm. Trying to cash in on the other fantasy, the movies, I'm sure, um, Lord of the Rings and so on. By the way, you much good father, but I know that, uh, well, maybe they're doing it in Brookings, I don't know. I know that the number of theaters around the country um, starting tonight, and we're recording on Tuesday, the 14th this time, um, are for the next three Tuesdays are airing the extended versions, filming, showing, screening, whatever, the extended editions, <laughs> the extended editions of all three Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, so tonight's Fellowship of the Ring extended edition, next week, Two Towers, and Return of the King after that. So, Really? Yeah. I don't know if they're doing... I know that at least one theater here in Sioux Falls is doing that. I'm not going to make it, but... I wish I could. So anyway, uh, weather aside, <laughs> Father and I, uh, we decided that we could talk about um, salvation history. Um, Can know, I just go back in time for a moment, though? Please. A Wrinkle in Time is available on Netflix. Live streaming or to? Both. Really? Yep. All right. I'm going to have to check it out. You can might. I, can I go forward to where, where I was before in time? Marty, we've got to get you back to the future. <laughs> Rhodes, 
We we could just do an episode of movie quotes. That might be fun. Very boring, actually. Fun for you and I. Boring for the listener. So anyway, one point twenty-one gigawatts. Salvation history. Uh, We'll talk about what it is in a little bit, but I think so. For the purpose of asking the next question, just how God acts in throughout history. Uh, I think a lot of Christians, though, might rightly, well, understandably at least, ask. Well, who cares? How does it matter to me how God worked with Moses and Abraham and David and all those people thousands and thousands of years ago um, on the other side? Why does the, the past be the past? Leave it. The past is prologue. Pro, the past is prologue. That's all it is. Prologue. Uh, pro, prologue. Prologue. Um, so, so how does how does salvation history matter to my own spiritual life, my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Father? That's a very good question. I mean, because on the outlook, it can seem like it's just kind of one silly uh, story after another. There's, um, but the beautiful thing about salvation is just going to do two, th- a couple things for your uh, for your spiritual life, for your own personal growth and life of grace. If you're really able to delve into salvation history, into the whole story of uh, the Bible. And I think the things that it will do for you are, uh, first of all, it will um, give you a greater sense of uh, the meaning of Scripture and the purpose of Scripture. You know, you, you don't just sit down and read an encyclopedia. Right. You know? I mean, unless you're a total nerd like me. But I mean, you don't just read an encyclopedia from front to back, you know. Uh, there's an old phrase that say a story without a plot is... Just one darn thing after another, <laughs> right? You know? And uh, I, I, I edited that down a little bit in a certain sense, and so yeah. But uh, so one darn thing after another. Now uh, the other thing uh, that's going to do so it's going to give you that context of the whole meaning of scripture, and it's beautiful that like uh, uh, when you start to know salvation history, then you go back to the gospels. They're so much more richer. You know, I mean, stories that just seem like the nice little fluffy sayings of Jesus have a greater uh, meaning altogether. We can go to uh, a favorite example of mine of that if we'd like later on. Okay. Uh, but I think that's one great thing about salvation history. So just just to pause you, so salvation, I mean, this is very implicit what you just said, but just to be explicit, salvation history is not just the narration of one darn thing after the other. There is There is an underlying story in all of salvation yep. history. Okay. All right. Okay. Even though the Bible is a collection of many different books, all of the books have in them a commonality and a meaning. Right, because they all, uh, they all they, to, pardon. I just say because they all have the same. They have different human authors, but behind them, the same divine author. Yes, the same divine author. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and also too, then as you read those things, then even the the Psalms come alive, the language of the Mass comes alive, the prayers of the Mass. Uh, very steeped in uh, language specifically. I'm thinking maybe off the top of my head of Eucharistic Prayer 1, mm-hmm. where we hear about uh, the sacrifice of Abel, the, um, or uh, uh, the sacrifice of Abraham, the bread and wine offered by Melchizedek. Right. Unless we know who Melchizedek, Abraham, Abel, uh, know those stories, then it's just kind of words. And why should I really pay attention or really care about that? Right. So in that sense, uh, ignorance ignorance um, inhibits our ability to participate fully, for instance, in the sacrifice of the Mass. Very much so. And, and it inhibits your ability to understand Jesus' own words. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, 
uh, total sidetrack. So not total sidetrack, but just to understand Jesus on words, I think also in this way, too, you gain a greater understanding of the Catholicity of how Catholic the scriptures are the more we dive into not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Um, I remember I was sitting on the plane, uh, come back from something uh, a while ago, and I was sitting next to a, a man who went to a Baptist church, and he was apparently feeling frisky, and so we got into a theological, scriptural conversation. He's like, so what do you think about the book of Genesis, you know, and so we talked about that, and I talked about Genesis. I take it very literally in terms of uh, uh, the meaning of creation. I don't take it literally in terms of the method of creation, but of the meaning of creation. And uh, I don't know if we've done a podcast on that. I think we did, but we haven't. But, uh, and so anyways, uh, but so we're talking about that, and uh, I say, he said, well, I just, I just try to take the Bible simply. I, just try, I try to take the Word of God as it is, and I say, okay. So let's take the word of God as it is. And so what about John chapter 6, you know, which is the great discourse on the Eucharist. Amen, amen, I say to you, must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You shall not have life within you. And so, I mean, all those things, both in Genesis and in John, all those things, the more that we understand the full meaning of the stories of salvation and the Eucharist comes alive, all the other things come alive in greater richness. Right. So that's one good thing about salvation history. And I think the, the other thing, as, as you were talking um, just about um, the, the words of Jesus, and not, I totally lost it. I just lost it. So the one thing you're talking about is gone from my mind now. I thought it'd come back. So, yes, Father. Uh, question, did you ever have it? Uh, I think so. I did. I wasn't just going to blather on for the sake of blathering on. <laughs> now, uh, so we are just talking there about how when you studied the Old Testament, the words of Jesus come alive. And I believe it was St. Jerome who said that ignorance of the scriptures... Oh, 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 I know, I, I know what it is. Thank you. Uh, Old Testament. So, so the old, uh, the Catholicity, you, you, you referred to that. And, and, you know, in Lent with the Institute for the New Evangelization, we were looking at the biblical roots of the Mass and the Eucharist in particular. And that's one way in which, for me, and then at least some of the participants really said that, that it helped them enter into the Mass more fully. You know, we were talking about Eucharistic prayer number one. But the other ways in which, you know, uh, the Passover lamb, uh, the manna in the desert, um, the bread in the, of the temple, all those things make make allow us to enter into the mass more fully but they also make the old testament much more relevant in that way as well so absolutely yeah that's what it was thank you and there's a phrase too you know about so why we need both the old and new testament that says that um the new testament is contained in the old wait hidden the new is hidden in the the old and the old is manifested Yeah, exactly. I think St. Augustine, I think, said that. Yes. Absolutely. So the Old Testament is revealed by the New Testament. Its fullest, deepest meaning is revealed by the New Testament. And the New Testament is implicitly contained in the Old. Absolutely. You know, early in the church, of course, there was a, I shouldn't say of course. Uh, Some people may know this, but. uh, Of course. Of course. This is. Of course. uh, there was an early church uh, heretic, a priest, as they often were, of course, um, <laughs> Martian, M-A-R-C-I-O-N. Who, M-A-R-T-I-A-N? No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> M-A-R-C-I-O-N, uh, Martian, who, uh, who sort of, you know, took the, the, the question that I began this, how does it matter to my life, and really ran with it, as mm-hmm. most heretics do, ride a horse to death, um, who ended up kicking out all of the Old Testament. Okay, so what's important? Jesus is important. Not all these Old Testament. And even kicks out the uh, uh, all Gospels but Luke? 
Uh, yeah, I think, well, yes, because Matthew, well, he's too uh, tainted by the Old Testament. And right. uh, uh, Martian ended up saying basically the God of the Old Testament was a completely different God than the God of Jesus Christ. Of course, that's and not... Sort of hear that's being spoken about today in some ways, people. Right. That's absolutely. Um, Which is false. Absolutely. You know, I just came, I just saw some, uh, somebody online saying, boy, you know, just the mercy of the Old Testament is, as opposed to the, the wrath of the New Testament God. Yeah. Sort of inverting because the author was making the point that Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. Well, uh, hell isn't even really talked about in the no, Old Testament. absolutely. So, anyway. But sweet Jesus talks about it. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's one good thing. Another good thing about uh, looking to salvation history is that it, pr- it helps provide you, yourself, and your own spiritual life, your own spiritual journey with uh, a context, understanding, a road map of your own growth in the life of grace. This is what we call, in a sense, divine pedagogy. Divine pedagogy. Pedagogy is a method or a plan of teaching. A method or a plan of teaching for my inaccurate uh, mental translation. Uh, but, uh, or, not mental translation, my inaccurate memory. There we go, probably a better phrase. But, uh, uh, does that sound like a good definition of pedagogy? Yeah, yeah pedagogy is, uh, yeah, how, how some, yeah, how you teach, a method for teaching. Yes, I agree. Okay. So, we see that, that throughout the Old Testament, then, God has a method, a way that he taught all humanity leading up to his final lesson, his most perfect lesson, which is the Christ, but that how oftentimes that divine pedagogy is being replayed in our own spiritual life. And many of the saints uh, will talk about that as the saints themselves plunge into the Old Testament to understand and to grow in their own spiritual life. And so it's really no different for us to do the same thing in that way, that we too must plunge into uh, the Old Testament, to learn how it is that right here and now, God is teaching us. Mm. So they're very much the, the relevance to our own spiritual life. And I think what you said about the saints is, is a, just a great reminder, I mean, following the example of those who have, who have done it well. Uh, and as you said, they all, they all testify to the fact that the Old Testament uh, is of great help to them in their own spiritual life. Exactly right now, as a young basketball player, I'd want to follow the example of Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki and not LeBron James. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Was that a German accent? Yeah, das ist richtig. Anyway, all right. Boy, that's bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you follow the example of Dirk as opposed to LeBron, and therefore, you also follow the example of Saint so-and-so as opposed to, well, me. <laughs> Mr. Ignorant of the Scriptures. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yes, that is you to a T. Yes, yes. To a T or to a B. Either way. Okay, okay so, so that's a little bit about why. So now more fully on the what. So, all right. So I, I, all right, so I should... It, it'd be, it would be, in fact, valuable and useful to me as a Christian, as a disciple of Christ, to, to know a little bit more about salvation history for the reasons, at least those reasons that you just gave, Father. So what the heck is this thing, then, that I should know, know more about? Well, uh, so, so what is like the content of salvation history in that way? It's really stories. And these stories all have a unity to them. The story of creation of Adam and Eve... Um, and actually, I think that the main way to talk about it would be in terms of five Old Testament covenants. Just real quick, um, when you say story, 
that doesn't necessarily mean not, uh, fictional stories, or does it? That does not mean that does not necessarily mean fictional story. Okay, so when you because when you say story, then what, what do you mean? I mean, well, in the same way that we tell a history, history is a story. Right. Okay. Um, but I think uh, there's a power to stories as well. True story. I mean, uh, when we want to make a point, we even use true stories. You know, the story of LeBron James versus Dirk Nowitzki, where Dirk seems to work on his game and. LeBron, with all his natural gifts, doesn't seem to work on his game. Right. I apologize to any Miami Heat fans in the audience. But I, I'm very happy for the Cleveland Cavaliers fans in the audience. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, should, as Christian, should we really take joy in someone else's suffering? No. No. <laughs> no. No. So. <sighs> okay, so, all right, so, so, so just to, that, that... So, so yeah, yeah, is that a good, good clarification. When I say the stories of the Old Testament, don't necessarily mean in terms of a made-up, a fable, uh, Pinocchio. Right. I'm talking a story in the sense of, hey, this happened last week, yep. and it has meaning for you today. Okay. Uh, and so, and as we know, that's the most powerful way to teach. We teach our children, Absolutely. you know, through stories. Yep. I touched a hot... Uh, stove when I was a kid and look at the mark still in my hand. Now yep. you don't talk, touch the hot stove. Um, so the so let's focus on really five covenants in the Old Testament. Five aspects of the Old, Old Testament. These five covenants that God was always acting in covenant and relating with the covenants. Uh, there's one uh, New Testament scholar that talks about that in the Old Testament God is very much uh, working in creation and in covenant. Always working in these two ways, creation and covenant. And this is something that the Jewish people themselves and, of course, then our Lord was very aware of. Very aware that uh, God was always laboring to love Israel in creation and also in covenant. And the two, in many ways, were joined uh, in the way uh, that God reveals himself. So God reveals himself acting in our natural human life and our human history. And we focus at five really uh, key intervention points of that leading up to Jesus Christ. Does okay. that sound good? It does. So what, what is it? Uh, getting to that, what is a covenant then? Excellent. A covenant then is a bond. A covenant is a familial bond, a bond of a family. It's not just a contract that, hey, I give you $20 and you mow my lawn. Mm-hmm. That's a contract. A contract, as some lawyers say, contracts are made to be broken. You know, you just, it's a matter of finding the right language to break the contract. Okay. Um, whereas a covenant is not made to be broken. A covenant is made to bring families together. A covenant is made to bring people from the outside into the family to be there forever. And the most ready example of covenant that we have in our day and age, even though it is under attack and misused, is the covenant of marriage. Right. By which husband and wife uh, make that bond. You are now mine and I am now yours. Until, through, yeah, yes. Until death do we part. Yep. Very much so. Now, of yes. course, That's God right. doesn't die. No, no, he doesn't. No. So when God makes a covenant with us, then, you know, I mean, it's, so he's making that covenant with us. He's making a covenant with Adam and Eve, you know, made a covenant with Abraham. We're going to focus on these five covenants. From, let me just name all five of them quick. Okay. Covenant with Adam and Eve, covenant with Noah in the flood, covenant with Abraham our father in faith, the covenant with Moses, the liberator of the people of Israel, and finally the covenant with David, the king. Okay. These five covenants are made and emphasized throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Okay. 
So, okay. So, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go through them individually, or just point some common themes, or what? What do you think is? Let's put a couple of common themes. Then I would like a chance. Uh, let me take five minutes or so to talk about just some common themes okay. of uh, those five covenants, and uh, maybe not each, maybe not even each one in specific. Uh, and then finally, uh, maybe we'll focus on that idea of divine pedagogy within them, what God is teaching us in them. Okay. Uh, and then finally going to how then our better understanding of the Old Testament leads us to a better understanding of the New Testament and the Gospels. Okay. One of the things, as, as we get into that, one of the things about covenants that really struck me, um, actually I'm going to wait with that until when you talk about Abraham, I'm going to talk about, because it comes up in the context of the covenant with Abraham, so I'm going to hold Great. off on that. So from the very beginning, uh, and that's kind of the beauty of the book of Genesis, is that from the very beginning, you know, God created the world with a purpose. He created the world with a purpose, which was to invite uh, humanity into the goodness of divine life, into the goodness of life itself. The life itself was good, as we see in the six days of creation. It is good. It is good. Behold, it is very good. As God says that at the end of each day of creation, creating a world in the first three days and creating rulers in that world in the next uh, three days, culminating in uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And so he, he creates then with an eye towards us entering into his rest, entering to his glory. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. And from the very beginning, as Jesus will say later on, uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for us to enter into, to enjoy, to rest, to rest in the fact that God is. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we talked about that with Sabbath last week in our last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, uh, so in Adam and Eve, then we also see, though, that he created us with freedom, which is part of that image and likeness of God uh, that we created. Uh, the likeness would be that divine life, uh, which we lose with sin. Uh, that eternal life within us that we lose through sin, and that image would be our intellect, our imagination, our free will. Uh, Free will being the greatest of those because that's what allows us to love and to choose God. And of course, it's through that free will that we sin and we fall. And so that's kind of the beginning then of the struggles in the covenant. Okay. So, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. And then, so as we go on, then the the covenant stories kind of go in to see how that effect of sin and fall uh, spreads throughout all of humanity. We read that in the chapters after Adam and Eve, and we get to Noah, where the world has gone so wicked, so far away from God and his Sabbath rest, trying to make a rest for themselves, a name for themselves, uh, that God decides to uh, wipe them out and start over with Noah and his family. But we see that that sin, what we learn in that covenant then, as God makes the covenant with Noah after the flood through the rainbow, I will no longer destroy. Here I am. I set my bow away from you. Um, we've seen that, though, is that sin is not something that can just be wiped out, but that sin is something internal to man, uh, no matter we, where he is. It's just not a matter of finding the people that are sinful, but sin is in all of us. Right. Which is something we have to learn uh, in our own life of grace. And then uh, move on then to Abraham. And Abraham is God, now God is going to create uh, uh, how God is going to save all the nations, all the world. Where at one time he wiped them out and saved one family. Now he's going to use one family to save them all uh, in Abraham. 
And so, uh, which is a very beautiful covenant. You had some thoughts on Abraham? Well, just the, the, there's the episode uh, with Abraham, which to me really drives home the permanence of the covenant that God has created um, through Abraham with all of us. Uh, that, that story, I think, in Genesis 15, uh, where the account where Abraham falls into a trance. Okay, so normally, in, in, in what you do when a covenant was going to be ratified in the ancient Near East, they would take these animals and they cut them in two, and we see that happen in Genesis 15, where Abraham takes all these animals and they're cut in half, and each uh, and the halves are laid side by side. And so, what you would do in the ancient Near East to ratify the covenant, to enter into the covenant, um, you would each each party of the covenant would walk through the midst of the covenant, uh, and and the act of walking, th- or, sorry, through the the midst of the animals, the halves. The act of passing between the halves of the animals was the way by, you were saying, if I violate the terms of the covenant, may I be cut, cut in half just as these animals are. So Abraham does that. He falls into a sort of a, a, a meditative trance. He sees a manifestation of God, a theophany, where God, under the appearance of a, of a smoking torch, passes through the midst of, of the animals, the halves of the animals. Um, binding himself to the covenant. Um, if I violate my side of the covenant, may I be split in half. Of course, God can't violate the covenant. What's interesting to me, first of all, just knowing that, that that's what the whole, that's what, what's going on with that, that why, why do they do that? Well, that's why. Uh, but interestingly, Abraham does not pass through the midst of the animals. <laughs> Because Abraham, as you were just saying, sin is in all of us. God's people are going to violate the covenant. Uh, uh, so he does not... It, this is, I think, you know, typically in a covenant, both parties ratify it through this symbolic gesture. But in this covenant between God and his people, Abraham, uh, our father in faith, does not do that. So that, that just that, that's fascinating to me. Very much so. Very much so. Um, And so we see that movement and that continuing as God then is teaching the world through Abraham um, about uh, sin and uh, uh, also teaching about our need for him. And we see that then about how deep his promise goes throughout the story of Abraham in various ways. Uh, And then we get to the time of the exile in Moses or uh, where they're in Egypt, in slavery in Egypt. And through Moses, God calls them out. But we find that uh, that infidelity that we talked about in the descendants of Abraham, that even in Egypt they've been unfaithful to, uh, that in Egypt, in the 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they've grown unfaithful and forgetful of the God of Abraham. And so that God then, even though they've forgotten about him, God hasn't forgotten about them. And so God comes in, uh, in through Moses and Aaron and brings them to salvation. In the course of that, uh, destroying uh, the gods and mocking the gods of the Egyptians, and bringing to uh, fruition his promise in that way. Okay. And, uh, and so Moses, then we find that, so how are we going to be that chosen people? How are we going to live in that land, in that Sabbath rest that God wants us to live in? It's going to be uh, by two things. It's going to be by uh, divine worship. And so we have uh, revelation of the temple, the sanctuary, the divine sanctuary with Moses. And the priest trips for worship, especially uh, through the pa- culminating, its high point in the Passover. And secondly, with Moses, we have the divine law. Okay. Uh, this is what it means to live as his people and to be worthy of being his people, is that law. But again, we see that we are not able to live it ourselves. Right. Um, and so what the law proves to us is, as St. Paul would say, the law in many ways proves sin. 
And so, because it makes um, clear, makes clear how much we fall short. Now we have the standard, the ruler, the measuring stick. Right. Okay. You know, and it's like, wow, there's so many. It's so easy, but yet it's so hard. Right. 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 You okay. know, it's so easy, and yet it's so hard. And so, um, so I think that's a beautiful thing with that covenant. And then finally, um, and. Uh, Trying to think of the other thing, um, and the final culmination, then of course, is the covenant with David, in which God really take, uh, in many ways, foreshadowing Jesus through David and David's descendants. You know, it says Israel is dear to me like a son in David, and that while I will chastise this son, I will never abandon this son. While I might punish you, as I talked about in Moses' covenant, I will never abandon you. And I will redeem you and bring my promises to their ultimate fulfillment, even going back to Abraham. Okay. So, so one of the just one thing, another thing that's interesting to me in this, uh, as the covenants unfold, just the the expansion of the people who are included in the terms of the covenant. Um, you've got the couple with Adam and Eve. You've got the family with Noah. Uh, you've got the tribe with Abraham, then you've got the, uh, the the nation with Moses, and then the kingdom with David. So just this sort of this expansion of the the parties on our side uh, who are involved in in the covenant. It's just one big party. <laughs> one big party. One big party. Okay. You know the. Uh I think then, and then of course, it's culmination then in Christ when we talk about the Catholic Church. As I said, it's universal, worldwide Catholic Church. Right, right. So the fulfillment in Him, uh, the, the the absolute expansion of of the covenant to include all of humanity. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So. So these these five Old Testament covenants, which lead up to and, cul- and are fulfilled and culminate in Christ, um, the new and eternal covenant. So the uh, as you were sort of saying, we see this sort of the same thing repeating in a sense our own sinfulness and so on, but God continually giving more, revealing more more of Himself. That pedagogy where He, he reveals, unveils Himself more and more. Until, as you said earlier, the perfect lesson, the perfect revelation with Christ. Right, and also as as our sin is revealed more and more, and our humanity, the the metal, the substance of our humanity, and our fallen humanity is revealed. At the same time, then His solution will always match the problem. Meaning, what what, were you, what, what do you mean by that? Well, that as we see, like. Uh, as God says, like, here, Noah, here's how you live. And, you know, Noah's descendants fail. Here, Abraham, here's how you live. And Abraham descendants fail. Moses, here's how you live. And Moses and the whole tribe, of, the whole nation of Israel fails. But the solution is always there to match our problem in that sense. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Good. Okay. So these are the, the five Old Testament covenants, uh, which call my name. Yeah. And that's just very rough. Yep. Very rough snapshot. And uh, but I think just hopefully to give you an appetite uh, for studying salvation history. And then I think the call will culminate this off with one of my favorite stories. Okay. So uh, you know that David, the fifth covenant was made with David. 
saying that a son of his would sit on the throne, on his throne, uh, until uh, the end of time. Of course, we know that's fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, who is the faithful son of David. Okay. But, of course, the famous son of David is King... Solomon. Very smart. What? Solomon. King Solomon, right? Very smart, very wise King Solomon, you know. The Queen of Egypt came to go visit him. Or Queen of Ethiopia, I should say. Now, so King Solomon, though, uh, while he might have been wise, he was not faithful. And he did, uh, had many wives, many concubines, many sons. And so the choice of who would succeed him was a messy affair, mm-hmm. to say the least. And uh, in that affair, we have uh, two, two main uh, people at play. Uh, and I'm going to goof up. I always goof up which one is which. And I apologize. I'm very Catholic that way. But Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Mm-hmm. And of these two, uh, the one represents 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel in the north. Right. And um, ten, uh, 10 tribes of Israel in the north. And the one... Uh, and that's and that's Jeroboam represents the uh, ten tribes of the north, and Rehoboam is the son of Solomon who will succeed him as king. And um, so Rehoboam goes uh, to all the people of Israel where they're going to proclaim king after Solomon has died, and they said to them, you know, your father put on us a heavy yoke. If you lighten the harsh service and the heavy yoke your father Solomon imposed on us, we will serve you. And Rehoboam says, give me three days to think it over. And so uh, King Rehoboam goes and consults. Moses consults. And they're like, your father was too hard. Be lighter, be lighter, and they will be your servants forever. But then he goes to his buddies, uh, the guys he had grown up with, and said to them, kind of the syncophants, and said, you know, what, what would you say to the people who asked me to give a lighter yoke than Solomon? And they say, uh, what you should say to them is, my little finger is thicker than my father's body. My little finger is thicker than my father's body, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you. I will make it heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Okay? Not a very favorable image there, right? (laughs) No. No, okay. But but he actually goes and says this then to the ten tribes of the north. Uh, Rehoboam goes and says, you know, um, my father beat you with whips, I will beat you with scorpions. Where you thought his yoke was heavier, heavy, I will make it heavier. Um, and so the ten tribes of the north break out from the kingdom of Israel, that, uh, and they cease uh, following Israel, they cease worshiping God in Jerusalem, and all sorts of disaster happens. Right. And you read about that in the stories of Elijah of how it's such a broken, wasted kingdom because they have left him because of Rehoboam's sin, yep. because of David's grandson's sin okay. in this way, right? Yep. Now, so the interesting thing is, interesting story all on its own, First Kings chapter 12, right? But then you go to Matthew uh, chapter 11, right, to kind of the famous verse of, uh, you know, at that time, Jesus exclaimed and said, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, uh, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. So very much talk about his relationship with the Father 
in that sense, a kingly relationship, his rule, in a certain sense, the authority of the Father. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Hmm. So clear connection there to the yoke of Rehoboam, yes? No? Yeah, yeah, I think so. As well, yeah, Certainly, and, and as obviously in the opposite way, though. Right, where Jesus is now the faithful son of David, giving the true answer uh, to the kingdom that will preserve and save uh, the inheritance of David. Ooh. We also have an interesting thing that where is Jesus at and where is Jesus speaking at this time? I don't remember. He's in the northern part of Israel, oh. in the land of the rebellious ten tribes, Ooh. When he, in the land of Tyre and Sidon, Capernaum. Ooh. So that's a beautiful way that knowing the Old Testament adds a greater richness right. then to the New Testament. Right. Jesus isn't just throwing out some agrarian example. Right. Here's a yoke. But contrasting himself with the unfaithful or the uh, the harsh king of the Old Testament, Rehoboam, and saying, "No, I'm going to do. It, it's going to be different with me. Um, I I will fulfill. Uh, I will be the true king that you you have been waiting for. I am the faithful son of David. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So, okay. So it is in fact cool. good for me to learn a little bit about salvation history. <laughs> Okay. Uh, any, huh? any, any you other? Should. I should. Any? Uh, well, I was going to say. Um, any recommended uh, recommended resources, recommended reading, Father, that you would <coughs> that you would point to? So I got a couple of good books that I think would be good ones in this light. <coughs> First would be one that's a little older book. Now it's from the uh, mid to early nineties by Dr. Scott Hahn. Some of you might know. Pardon me, I've got a cough, and I don't know why. Do you want to? You know the name of this book, don't you? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Uh, this is a father who keeps his promises. Uh, originally, it was published, I think, by uh, uh, Swat Karis. I'm look, trying to read the publisher on my bookshelf, but a father who keeps his promises, and it's still in print, I think, too, isn't it? It is. Okay. And so find on Amazon.com. Yep. And that's very good. And that one really focuses on the covenants very nicely. Okay. Okay. Another good one, a newer one, is uh, called Walking with God by uh, Dr. Tim Gray and uh, Monsieur uh, John Cavins. Jeff. Jeff Cavins. Yeah. Jeff Cavins. John Calvin, Jeff Cavins. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Dr. Tim Gray and Jeff Cavins. Okay. And this is a very nice book as well. It just really tells the story just in a wonderful way. Um, just very readable. It's like, it's, like, it's like the Reader's Digest Old Testament. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Jeff Caven's video series on um, uh, salvation history, uh, who, which the title of which is exp- the Bible time. The Bible timeline, the Great Adventure, uh, the Great Adventure Bible. Yes. Um, this is basically that in book format, and being in book, there's even more than there is in the video. So, exactly. Okay. And then finally, uh, another good book, a little more academic one, but it'd be a good. They they wrote it to be a textbook for a college level theology course uh, called Holy Land, Holy or Holy People, Holy Land, by uh, doctors uh, Michael Dauphiné 
and Matthew Levering. Uh, do not ask me to spell either last name. <laughs> Levering is easy. L-E-V-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, Dauphin is a little bit more. D-A-U-P-H-A-N-A-I-S, I think. But Holy People, Holy Land, Matthew Levering. D-A-U-P-H-I-N-A-I-S. I-N-A-I-S, okay. Uh, either way. Holy Dauphin. People, yeah. Holy People, Holy Land, Levering will get you to the book on Amazon. Okay. Exactly. In fact, their product description uh, mentions the heretic Marcion. There you go. There you go. The second century heretic Marcion believed it was impossible to reconcile the Old Testament message of law and sacrifice with the New Testament message of grace and forgiveness. Even today, many believers struggle to find unifying themes in Scripture that can make sense of its great diversity. Dauphine and Levering suggest that holiness, that is, love and communion with God and neighbor, is a common thread that runs through Scripture. You should, holiness, they say, manifests itself in profuse biblical language about a promised land and a holy people. You should uh, seek the contract to do the audio book, Father. <laughs> or, 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 or oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we will uh, leave things there. As you said, uh, hopefully your appetite is wetted, uh, wetted, and uh, some of these books would be great resources for you to uh, do some further reading. Um, and I think we'll leave it there. Any, any? Fire- I must say, holy, uh, walking with uh, walking with God is a great vacation read. Okay. There you go. So a good summer Your read. Summer Good read for your summer as we move further into the uh, the vacation time. Uh, bringing it back to the beginning, summer, and it's, yes, still cloudy here in Sioux Falls. And still cloudy and horrible in Brookings. And there we go. So until next week, when hopefully, hopefully it's sunnier everywhere, may God bless you and have a great week. <laughs>